Amen. Why don't you have a look with me in Luke chapter 10. I want to speak with you and share with you something I had on my heart about letting your light shine. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed another 70 also and sent them two by two before his face to every city, every place he would go. Uh, Jesus had just sent out uh, 12 apostles. An apostle is a person who's a sent one. They're a pioneer. God puts uh, his uh, hand on apostles to break into new territories, to break into new areas. He particularly anoints them to do that. In the uh, last decade, God has been restoring different ministries to the church. Decade of the 50s, the evangelists, the 60s, 70s, the uh, pastors, the 70s, 80s, the teachers. In the last uh, decade, the 90s, there was a tremendous amount of noise going around the world and tremendous amount of emphasis on prophets and their role in relationship to the church. Now, in this decade, God is emphasizing the apostles. And the reason he's emphasizing the apostles is because there's a change of season in the church. Of course, the church mostly is asleep, doesn't know the change in season. But uh, we need to recognize what God is doing, be awake to what God is doing, because the blessing of God always flows when you do in the season what God is speaking about in the season. And so today we live in an hour and a time when God is emphasizing the church arising and beginning to start to make an impact in every area of society, every area of community, whatever area of society we can uh, find God's position us, God calls us to make an emphasis there and an impact there. If you're in school, God calls you to make an impact there. If you're in banking, then God makes you, wants you to make an impact there. If you're in the area uh, of the community service somewhere, service industry, God wants us to make impact there. So the church is being stirred. Now notice here that Jesus had sent the apostles out, and these, these are other people now. These are the followers of Jesus, and they're being sent out by Jesus. Notice he said he sent them out. That's the word apostello, apostolic. He commissioned them to go out to break into new areas. And number two, he appointed them or he lifted them up to another level so they could do what they were called to do. God is speaking into the church right now about it becoming mobilized to start to impact areas of society. Notice it said he sent them to every place, every place, not just cities, but every place he was going to come. Now we can pray all we like for revival, but at the end of the day, God wants to send someone to make a way for God to come. So wherever you are, you're called to make a way for God to come. You make a way in a whole range of different ways, but you are the one who makes the way. If there's no move of God where you are in society, if God is not working in your society, realize this. He sent you there to make room for that to happen. He sent you there to prepare the way. That's what God is doing worldwide. He is sending people, ordinary people, into the community, to areas of the community. He sends you there. So you need to conduct yourself like a sent person. God sent me. I'm a man with a mission, a woman with a mission. I have a purpose to make a difference where God has sent me. And the Bible tells us God lifted them up or he imparted to them what was needed to be able to do this. And from there I want to pick up and start to move about letting our light shine. Why don't you look with me in Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Can we get that buzz out of those speakers behind me? Be great. Matthew 25. Or perhaps someone could just come and turn them off. Matthew 25 and verse 1. I want to read the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. And I'm going to go through that parable and show how it applies to us right now, how it applies to us in the time and history where we're living. And uh, I want us just to start off on verse 1, go to verse 1 through to verse 13. 
Then, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. The foolish took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. The wise took their oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom uh, tarried, or was slow turning back, then they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry went out, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out and meet with him. And all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are just about to go out. And the wise answered, saying, No. How about that? Not very Christian, is it? No. Lest we don't have enough. He said, Rather, you go to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they were ready, they that were ready went with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, and they said, Lord, 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 open to us. And he said, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. And so he says, Now he applies it. Now you watch. Watch or be vigilant or be alert, for you do not know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man is coming. How many know the day or hour when the Son of Man is coming? We don't know it. So he tells us there's something we must be doing uh, at that time. Now, Jesus, no, we just pick it up at the very beginning. One of the interesting things is, uh, as we go back just to the verse that I was sharing with, we began to share about how Jesus appointed the, these guys and they were lifted to another level of functioning. How did he do it? What did he do to the ordinary 70 disciples that made a difference to them that when they went out, they began to penetrate areas that were never penetrated before? What did he do to them? That's what I want to know. I always want to know why. Number one, he did two things. Number one, he, he, he spoke the word of God into them. He spoke destiny into them. He began to impart a commission into their lives through his preaching. Notice what he says immediately afterwards. The laborers are few. The harvest is great. The second thing he did was imparted anointing into them. Two things, commission and anointing. And let me ask if anyone is up with what God has been doing in the last decade. And then you begin to see the relevance of that verse. In the last decade, we have had an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Pensacola, Toronto, right across the world. Anyone who's been alert to anything that God has been saying in the last decade God has been right around the world, without exception, every part of the world, wherever you go, one of the things that's characteristic is there's been an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, an outpouring or impartation into the church of the life of the Holy Ghost. Number two, what has God been emphasizing? God been emphasizing things like destiny, purpose, the apostolic, the Great Commission. Now, what God is doing is He's preparing ordinary people to take hold of what he's saying and to begin to make an extraordinary difference everywhere that God places them and positions them. We're living in an hour of unusual window of opportunity in history. We're living in a time towards the end of the hour when God is going to cause the church to arise and go to every part of society. Now when we look at this, and notice what it said, then shall the kingdom of heaven be like this. So Jesus has been asked a question. This is the question he's asked. In Matthew 24, he's asked the question, well, when will you return, or what should be the sign of your coming, and so on. And he begins to talk to them about what's going to happen to the Jews, and then he goes into a series of parables as he talks about the church. And he, first of all, he talks about it'll be like the days of Noah, violence, corruption right through the earth. 
How many recognize that? Then he said, he began to share a story about a, a parable about a house, and the house got broken into by a thief, and the need to be alert. And that's the picture that in the last days, demonic powers will be unleashed in the earth on a level that's never been seen before. Therefore, you need to be alert, and you need to know how to confront and deal with them. The third parable he begins to talk about, he begins to talk about the servants in the house of God. And he says, uh, the servants, the servants who are wise, he says, they will give the house the meat and due season. In other words, he's saying, a wise servant at the end times will be sharing the things that God has got on his heart for the end times, which is the anointing, the power of the Spirit of God, and the apostolic commission to go into the earth to touch missions in every nation. Then he gives another parable about different servants, wise servants, uh, two different kinds of servants. And uh, one of the servants uh, is uh, involved in serving in the house. The other kind of servant is abusive of other people in the body of Christ. And he says he will deal with unrighteousness in the church when he comes. Then he gets on to the next two parables, this one about the virgins and the next one, which is about the, sower, uh, the, the, the servants and the house being productive. Now, all of these apply to us. Not just one. I'm just picking one today because I want to emphasize one thing. But you need to look immediately after it. It talks about us being productive. Okay, now we're going to go through the parable of the servants. And the, the first thing we want to see is about our light shining. So number one, what is the parable about? Very, very simple. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about God's kingdom coming into the earth. It's about things concerning the end times and the advance of God's kingdom. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be made like, or it's just like this. Now, Jesus talked a lot of things about what the kingdom of heaven will be like. And one thing he said is like these virgins, five wise and five foolish virgins. So this is a story or a parable to teach you something about the coming kingdom of heaven. It's something which is relevant for every believer. It's something to teach us. And it's a story with a very clear warning or a very clear lesson. And in case we didn't get the lesson, Jesus actually explains the lesson at the very, very end. So what is this about? It's a parable or a story with a hidden meaning. Who are the virgins? Well, many people look at it and they say, well, the five wise ones must be Christians. The five foolish ones must be unsaved people. Not so. Cannot be. Here's why it can't be. Notice this, that there were 10 virgins altogether. In the Bible, when it's using the term virgins, it's talking about a person who's unmarried or has kept themselves free from idolatry or uncleanness. Kept themselves clean or kept themselves specifically for a marriage relationship. And he says that there are 10 of the virgins there. 2 Corinthians 11.2. 2. 2 Corinthians 11.2. Paul says, now he's writing to Christians, I have espoused you to Jesus Christ. Or in other words, he says, I have joined you in a marriage covenant to Jesus Christ, that at his coming I might present you as a clean or chaste or pure virgin. Now he's writing to believers. So the Bible tells us that we were lost in our sin, we were lost in the world, defiled by sin, but when the Spirit of God came into you and me, we were made clean. All our sin was washed away, made completely clean and pure. We get a totally free start, and we are born into or literally joined to Jesus Christ. He says, I've espoused you or joined you to Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, we are joined to the Lord, we're one spirit with Him. So when you got saved, you came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you were made clean, and God prepared you for a work to be done in the earth. He prepares every one of us and calls every one of us to represent Him. Notice here, He says that, he says that there are 10, 10 of the, vir the virgins, 
Five of them are wise, five of them are foolish. When the Bible is using numbers, it's always talking about, it means certain kinds of things in the Bible. So he's telling us there's 10 virgins. In other words, there is the complete number of God's people involved here. And he says there are five of them are wise, five foolish. What made the wise ones wise and the foolish ones foolish? And how could you be wise or foolish? This is what made the difference. The wise ones did something the foolish ones didn't do. They just failed to do what they needed to do at the right time. All of them, you know, as the Bible tells us, all of them slept. It says the whole lot of them slumber. Now, Jesus, these parables are prophetic. So, so the Bible tells us that they all slept and slumbered because the Lord was a long time coming. And so for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of church history, the church has been literally unaware and not even thinking about the second return of the Lord. But since 1906, with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Azusa Street, one of the messages that's come out all through this last century has been that the Lord is coming back soon. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but we know that he'll come back. Before he comes back, the gospel of the kingdom of God must be preached in all the earth. And so for the last hundred years, God has been starting to waken up the church with the cry, the bridegroom is coming. It's at least a hundred years God has been warning the church that the last time is upon us. So I don't go around looking and seeing and interpreting signs and what's happening in the Middle East or whatever and all of these kind of things. I don't worry about all that stuff. All I know is for a hundred years God's been telling the church to wake up and get ready. See? And so you notice here that the, 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 what made the wise virgins wise was they thought about their future and they prepared for it. That's what made them wise. They were thoughtful about what was to come and they prepared when they had an opportunity. And the foolish ones, what made them foolish? Well, that word foolish means they were, they were dull or unresponsive. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that there is a large section of the church of Jesus Christ dull and unresponsive to him? So there must be a lot of foolish virgins around. So what made the wise virgins wise was they were sensitive to and aware of what God was saying. And when the cry came out, behold, he came, they all arose and they all began to get ready for his coming. And so God is causing a huge stir in the church worldwide. For, the, for almost a decade now, the, the word of world missions has gone out. You can't go anywhere in the world, anywhere. You don't go anywhere in the world where you don't hear a, a major sound coming out. And that is, there's a sound of purpose, of destiny and of world mission that we must take the gospel to every part of society, every part of the world. There's been, in this last decade, more impact on world missions than almost any other time in history. There are more people alive today than at any time in history. Just today, right now today, if you were to go back and add up all the people who've ever lived on the earth, there are more alive today than ever have lived in all the history of the earth. The other thing we notice is we're living in a day where it's possible to travel to any part of the earth and through the internet connect to any part of the earth and through television reach literally millions of people. We are living in a day when God is telling the church, wake up, wake up. The bridegroom is coming and prepare for his coming. And what is the preparation? That's what we saw in Luke chapter 10. Jesus anointed them 
and appointed them, and he sent them out to every place he himself would come. So one of the sounds that will come into the earth before the coming of the Lord will be the need for the church to arise, become empowered by the Holy Ghost, empowered by the Word of God, and begin to become passionate about what God is passionate about, which is unsaved people coming to know Jesus Christ. He's passionate about that. He is fired up about that. He is concerned about unsaved people, people who do not know him coming to know him. So today in Hastings and in Napier, New Zealand, as in every part of the world, God is stirring the church, become empowered by the Holy Ghost, and get into your heart why you are placed where you're placed. Get into your heart. Now is the hour to begin to start to have impact, to begin to stretch out, to begin to penetrate in a way that's never been done before into every part of our community. Not only there, but into the nations as well. That's for every, every, every believer. Turn to someone and tell him he's talking about you. Talking about you. That's for you. It's for every believer. Okay, let's carry on. So what are the lamps? It says here, the foolish took their lamps and they took no oil with them. So all the virgins had lamps. In Proverbs 20 and verse 27. See, the Bible explains what things are. We only got to search for them. It says, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. You and I are spirit beings. We live inside a body. We have a spirit, a soul, a body. Your spirit is designed to carry the life of God. Your spirit keeps your body alive. Your spirit enables you to communicate and connect with and become aware of the spirit well. But your spirit is made to be joined to the spirit of God. So before we got born again, our spiritual man was in darkness. It says once we were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. So when you got born again... The Spirit of God entered into you and literally ignited your spirit. Look what it tells us in one of the Psalms. In Psalm uh, 18, verse 28, You will light my lamp, you will lighten my darkness. So a person who is living without Christ is in spiritual darkness and their spirit is not being ignited with the life of God. I don't know whether you've ever seen, just go back two weeks or so when we were showing some pictures there of some of the orphans in Uganda. Now, we showed some, uh, Andy showed some pictures of orphans from the uh, refugee camp and they were unsaved. And he showed some pictures of children who were orphans and they were under the influence of the church and had come to know Jesus Christ. And you know what you could see? You could see in their countenance the difference between those who were saved and those who were unsaved. It literally showed up in their countenance. The ones who were saved, their countenance is light and bright. And even though their skin's black, they're kind of bright. Something about them is bright. And yet you have a look at the other ones, their skin's the same color, but they look dark. And the reason is one have come into the light, there's a light shining inside them and it shines on the countenance. When the Spirit of God gets inside you, He lights you up like a lamp. You've got life on the inside. It should show on your countenance. It should show through your eyes, through your face, and through your words. In other words, what God has put inside us is a light which He designed to burn so bright people can see a tangible difference about you. 
when Jesus went up on the Mount Transfiguration, he, as he began to pray, the Bible says his whole face or countenance changed and the life and light of God began to shine out of the inside. Most people are waiting for God to do something from heaven and bring it into the earth. God is waiting for believers to shine their light, to let the life of Jesus show through your eyes, your words, your face, your hands, what we do. God's calling us to shine out more brightly, more powerfully than any other time in history. What a great thing. What a great day to live in. What a great day to live. So if you're dark and gloomy and depressed, it's because you're not letting your light shine. It's because you've got no oil in your lamp. It's because you've let the lamp fire go down. And you need to not just have someone pray for you. You need to be wise. You need to be wise. You need to do what the wise ones did and make sure you've got plenty of the Holy Ghost. It will be hard for you if you've been in a Holy Ghost church and you never tap the life and power of God. It'll be hard for you if you've lived in a church that carried anointing and fire and passion and you never took hold of it. Because to much, who much is given, much is expected. If you live and you're a part of a city, there's a lot expected by God from you. He expects you because you're taught about the Holy Ghost, have opportunity to learn how to move with power, that you'll take that life and you'll carry it. You'll carry it. You'll carry it. You'll carry it somewhere. And if you don't, then you will have more to respond to the Lord to than those who've lived in an Anglican church that never, ever heard the Word of God. All very well to point at Anglicans and Catholics and whatever, but God works on this principle, to whom much is given, much is required. And so if you're given more, more is expected of you. So if you live and you come into a church like this and you're part of this church and year in and year out and you never ignite with the Holy Ghost, you never let the fire of God begin to burn, you never begin to build a prayer life where God's life's burning in you, I tell you, a lot be expected of you. I wouldn't be in your shoes when you meet the Lord. I wouldn't be in your shoes for anything. I tell you now. Jesus said to the Jews, he spoke to one city. He said, listen, he spoke to uh, Capernaum. He said, listen, he said, in, 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 in the day of judgment, he said, it'll go easier on the city of Nineveh than it will for you because they didn't even see the miracles you saw, but they repented just at the preaching of the word of God. He said, you've seen the miracles and you still remain hard. See, whole cities become judged by God in the last days. Amazing, amazing thing. So, isn't it exciting? So the lamp, the lamp of God is your spirit. And it is God who ignites your lamp. And he ignites your lamp by putting the Holy Ghost inside you. You are a container for the fire and the life of God. Let your light shine. Let it burn. Let it burn. Let it burn. That's what God calls you to do, to be on fire for Him. Now you see, there is something in the atmosphere of this area, I don't know about any other part of New Zealand, but definitely this area, it's called a spirit of apathy. And it sits on you, and it stops your light burning. You become flat like everyone else. And you can't be part of the answer if you've yielded to what's around you. You've got to be ignited continually with the Word and the Spirit of God. So when people see you, say, whoo, something different about you. Boy, you carry something different. You have to make a stand against things which we live with in our community, which flatten the life out of the church of Jesus Christ. Man, I've been around some churches. My goodness me, I want to get it and shake the whole show up. Talk about flat. 
You say, oh, well, that's what we're like, brother. Yeah, maybe like what you're like, but it isn't what it's like in the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is different. Kingdom of God is full of passion. It's full of life. It's full of fire. It's full of boldness. It's full of joy. It's full of the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of heaven. And so if you've let something else get in your vessel, that's your responsibility. But God wants you to be full of life. And there's no reason why not to be. You choose what fills your life. Just like you choose what you eat for a meal, you choose what you feed your mind on, choose what you feel your heart on, you choose what you feed upon. And what you feed upon will either grow your spiritual life and you burn, or it'll quench it and you'll diminish. And God calls us to feed our spirit man, grow in the life of God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> okay, once you have a look then, see what tells us, see what you find. So what does it mean when it says, Lee, let your light shine? Have a look with me in John 5 and verse 35. So when the Bible says, let your light shine. So we found that the virgins had a lamp. You've got a lamp, it's called your spirit. They had something igniting the lamp. That's the Holy Ghost. You've got the Holy Ghost as well. And it says in John 5 verse 35, Jesus, uh, it says of John the Baptist, he was a burning and a shining light. Eh? He was a burning and a shining light. I want to share with you three things that make the difference or what it means to let your light shine. Three things to make uh, what it means to let your light shine before men. And uh, there's probably lots more things it means, but there's three things which it does mean anyway, definitely. You notice here that John, John the Baptist was called a burning and a shining light. Now, there were lots of people went to church in John the Baptist's day. They were not burning and shining lights. What made the difference with John? I tell you what made the difference with John was this. He was listening to what God was currently saying in the hour he lived and made a stand publicly for what God was saying. In other words, he made a bold public stand on what God was currently speaking to the church about. Now, they had the Bible. They had the history of all that God had done in the past. But God was saying something different. He was saying, repent. God is about to bring his kingdom into the, in the earth. Repent because God is about to do some new things in the earth. Have a change of mind and a change of heart. He made a stand for holiness and godliness. He stood against the whole religious order of his day and said, God is about to change it all. And he lived at a point in history when God was going to radically reform everything that had been in place for literally hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years. Joy was talking this morning about the new offering or the new covenant or the new sacrifice with the blood of Jesus Christ. God was about to change all the old order and to abolish it completely and introduce something new called the Spirit of God. But God, we're standing at a point in time when God is about to start to push on the church to change the church so it becomes mobilized at a much greater level and begins to advance God's kingdom. Instead of sitting, it becomes involved sowing. Instead of just receiving, it becomes involved investing. God is bringing change worldwide. And we need to hear what God is saying today.
If you lived 100 years ago, he was saying, get baptized in the Holy Ghost. If you lived in the 1500s, he was saying, you must be born again. Now he's saying all of those things and more. And if you want to shine now, you've got to currently say what God is saying now. He's telling the church, rise up, get full of the Holy Ghost, get the anointing around you and become apostolic or missionary in society. That's what he's saying now. And we need to get that around our heart. We need to begin to burn with it. Not turn up on Sunday and then forget God the rest of the week. We need to burn with what God's saying now. Number one, we need to make a strong personal stand for truth. You've got to stand up for it. John was not afraid to stand up and be different. See, he was different. He didn't come to a meeting and stay in a meeting and dress up in a nice suit. Went out and he looked weird. He looked weird, had old sort of garments and mantle on and ate locusts and wild honey. Look, crazy guy. God does not always dress up what he's doing in the most attractive, appealing way. He often puts it in such a way, there's a little bit of offense if you want to get offended. John was extremely offensive. Of course, when Jesus came, because John's all dressed up and in, in his clothes, got not much, not much to his name. He's poor. He's out there in the desert and eating all this wild stuff. And, and the whole nation came out in the desert to find him. And Jesus, he's announcing Jesus. Jesus comes. Jesus sits in all the places, has meals and drinks and whatever and stuff like that. And, and John said, God, this is the, can this be the one that I was talking about? He's so different to me. But you see, the Pharisees were offended by both John and both Jesus because they're offended by the message. Because the message was the same. Change. Change. And get aligned with God. Get aligned with what God is doing. Get up to God's plan for the hour you live in. See, God's plan for the hour in 1500s was people be, come out of the Catholic Church, become part of a global reformation. Now God's speaking a similar kind of thing. He's telling the church to wake up, get out of your seats, begin to become involved in the process and purpose of mission in this hour. You say amen? Second thing that, that, that uh, is a part of letting your light shine is you must become bold and unashamed before men. Notice what it says in Matthew 5, 14. Matthew 5 and verse 14. Matthew 5, you know, the Jesus teaching, uh, you're a light of the world. City that cannot be uh, set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do people light a candle and stick it under a bushel. A bushel is a term used in business. Neither do you light a candle and then hide it in the busyness of life. He said, when God lit you up, he meant for you to burn. He meant you to shine out in the business of life. Wherever that business is, whatever you're involved in, God calls you to actually shine and stand up. That's what he says. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and acknowledge God. And others, your Father in heaven. So God has called us to be absolutely bold and unashamed. Don't be high. You can't have any power if you're ashamed. Be totally unashamed. Unashamed of what God is and what God is doing. Say. Why should we be ashamed? Next thing you notice is godly, distinctive godly actions are a part of making your light shine. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. You've got to do something. You've got to do something. Now, I believe prayer is a wonderful thing, and prayer is a work, and there are people particularly called into that area, but everyone is called to do good works that impact men. All of us are called to do that. Even Titus says, make sure you're careful that you maintain good works. 
In other words, he said, do things which have got a distinctive passion and life in them that people say, boy, how come you do that? That's different. It's not just doing the same as everyone else did. If you do the same, it won't be distinctive. No one will notice it. It's got to have something different about it. When you've got a great attitude in the workplace, you're different, you're distinctive. When you honor your boss, you're different, you're distinctive. When you do kind things without trying to get something back, you're distinctive. When you run your business honestly, you're distinctive. There is a lot of ways you can be distinctive, but God calls us to do things which are decidedly distinctive, enough to cause people to say, what is that? Where did that come from? See, every believer called to do that. So, now, in order to do that, we need the life of the Holy Ghost. Let's go back into the parable again. We need the life of the Holy Ghost. Let's go back into Matthew 25. So we see here, the ten virgins represent the whole of the church. Five of them are wise, five of them are foolish. We notice there, the ones who are wise, they have got oil in their lamp. Hallelujah, got oil in their lamp. So how does a lamp function? Very simple, Bible lamp, you don't just push the button and turn the power on. It goes like that. A Bible lamp was a container, had oil in it, had a wick went right down into it. You, the, you left the wick soaking, and the wick literally absorbed the oil. The oil flowed up, up through the wick, and then the oil would begin to burn. And so if you've got a good lamp, then the oil burns, and it just gradually draws all the oil out of the container. What a brilliant picture of how you're designed to function. How we're designed by God to be a, 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 have a container, to be filled with the Holy Ghost and have a part of us that draws, not just from our natural ability and strength, but draws by prayer on the ability of God. You're called to draw on the life of God. Most people, most people, this is what we do. We do everything we can to set our life up so we never have to depend on God. And you wonder why you don't have a bright burning light. See, God wants us not to live in the comfort zone. You've got to live a little bit outside that, just on the edge where you have to pray and have to depend on God and have to ask God to come through and to help you. And, and you're doing things that you've never done before. You're, you're stepping out, and this is a little new to, to do some of the things you're doing. So you begin to draw on the life of God within you. Most people are waiting for someone to come here and do something to them. And God says, learn to draw on the life inside you. Uh, John chapter Chapter 7, verse 38, he tells us, I'll put my spirit in you, and there'll be a river. Life flows of the Holy Ghost flow out from inside you. So that's the way a lamp's designed to function. And the Bible says the, the problem with these ones is they have the oil. The oil, of course, in the Bible is very symbolic of the Holy Ghost. I'll give you a couple of scriptures. Exodus 30, verse 25, talked about the holy anointing oil. Whenever the Bible talks about oil, it always has closely associated with it anointing. Oil, anointing, meaning the empowering life of God. God wants to empower you. When He puts the Holy Ghost on you, sometimes we let, smear people with oil, but the oil doesn't change them. It's the life of God flowing into them that changes them. It's the life of God flowing into you that makes a difference to you. Hebrews 1 verse 9 says, Jesus loved righteousness, hated iniquity. Therefore, God has anointed him with the oil of joy. So there's an anointing of joy. Oh, I need a bit more of that. I've got some. I need a bit more. More. More of the joy. Some of you need a lot more too. Need a lot more. Need to laugh a lot more. 
See, not be so serious about life. Well, life has got serious aspects, of course, and we need to plan and think our things, but we need to enjoy the journey. Enjoy it on the way and laugh a lot more and enjoy what's happening around us and have fun on the way. It's a ball, the blast walking with God. We've got to enjoy that. Otherwise, when, you, when you, you shift out of just enjoying the journey with God, you become focused on how you can perform. and Whether you're going to make it, I may not make it. Of course, you get stressed out when you think like that. Don't think like that. Think, well, God is going to help me, whatever happens, and learn how to relax and enjoy God on the way. You say, well, you know, how can you do that? Well, you can. You've got to learn to draw on the life within, not try to live your life on whether everything's smooth and comfortable on the outside. See, the Christian life doesn't shine best when everything's smooth on the outside. It shines best when everything's wild on the outside and you've got something on the inside that you're drawing on. Okay? Jesus said in the world, you're going to have some pressures, but be of good cheer. In other words, be joyful because I've overcome. I'm inside. I can help you. See, so the joy of the Lord. I look around and, you know, one of the greatest evidences to me that someone is free is joy. Laughter, joy, joy inside, upwelling joy. You know, Jesus said, don't let any man take away your joy. Don't let anyone take it from you. Don't let anything take it away. Don't lose what I gave you. Interesting, when the Holy Ghost came, the first thing that he did was he got everyone drunk and they started to laugh and roll around and have a great time because church had been too serious for far too long. And some wonderful Christians said, how can that be God? They're laughing. Isn't that wonderful? Hey, but God is in laughter. He laughs. God does laugh. He really laughs. He's very happy. He's full of joy. King of heaven, his righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you've got joy in the Holy Ghost, you'd shine in your mouth. Shine on your face. Shine on your countenance. You know, there's something about it. You know, people don't whistle anymore. You walk down the road and you whistle a bit, you know, hum, and people look at you. Whew. What do you got to be happy about? <laughs> Why not? Full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the joy of the Lord. Why not? Why not be happy? Why not be joyful? The alternative's horrendous. No? So, notice the oil of the Holy Ghost. In Mark 6, verse 13, Jesus anointed them with oil and prayed for them, they were healed. So, the anointing, oil and anointing always goes together. So, how can I increase it in my life? Say, how can I increase it in my life? Notice what they said here give us your oil. And they said, no, go buy your own. It's very unchristian, isn't it? Very unchristian. Give me some of your oil. No, go get your own. It's like, see, the Bible's got all these funny things in it that are bizarre, you know? Like, he's got 10. Oh, I'll take the one off. I'll take the one off the guy who's got one and I'll give it to the guy that's got 10. And we look at that and go, oh, God's, God's thinking smart. He says, this one's not productive with it. It's no use giving him that one. I'll take give the one that's productive. You know, God thinks differently than what we think. Anyway, here it is. Let me give you some simple keys, very simple. Notice here, why do we have to buy? Why can't you just get it given to you? I thought God gave stuff. Yes, he does give. But it doesn't mean there's no cost to pay. Notice the difference between giving to give someone something, and it's free. They don't have to do anything. Just open their hand and get it. But to buy something, you've got to pay a price. It costs you something. It's going to cost you something to carry the life and anointing of the Holy Ghost. There's a personal cost to having an abundance of the oil and life of the Holy Ghost. And no one can pay it for you. If you want to carry joy and life and have impact... You have to be willing to pay the price to be like that. It'll cost you. It'll take something out of your life. It's prioritizing your life. 
It's like wanting to be a great athlete but never being willing to do the training. See, it takes something from us. We say, I want to be an Olympic athlete. I don't see why I shouldn't be an Olympic guy and get a gold medal. Pay the price. Pay the price. Pay the price. You've got to do it. Okay, so how do we pay the price? Notice what God said. Now, what they said. Notice what they said. Go to them that sell and buy some. That means there must be those that sell. There must be some place I can go where I can exchange something and receive anointing of the Holy Ghost. So just giving it real quick. It's very, very simple. The supplier of oil, ultimately, because the oil is the Holy Ghost, is God himself. And so he supplies it in two ways. One, he supplies it directly by your personal relationship with him. Secondly, he supplies it through fivefold ministry gifts given to the body of Christ. So currently, God is emphasizing apostles on the earth today. So one of the main channels of oil into a church and the life of a church is connection to an apostolic ministry because they will bring what God is currently saying and it will carry the anointing of God to get results. So we get the anointing of the Holy Ghost and it'll take a little bit of something from us. Here's how we get it, very simple. Number one, time in the presence of God. Without time in the presence of God, we can't get anointed. Hebrews 4.16, we need to come to Him and spend time. You've got to prioritize your time. Everyone wants your time. Everyone's busy. Time in the presence of God costs us something. We have to exchange. How, what do we exchange? To exchange money? No, 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 not money. God's not interested in your money. No, no, no. He's got all the money he needs. What it means is your time, some of your life. Here's the second thing in the presence of God is intimacy. Intimacy with God. 2 Peter 1 verse 2, that grace or the abundant power of God is multiplied to us through knowing God personally. It takes time to get to know him, to share your heart with him, your struggles, your life with him. But it's out of that that oil, his presence comes into our life. A third thing is surrender to the Lord. Surrender to the Lord and what he wants to do. John 4 and verses 32 to 36, Jesus said, I've got a meat, I've got a life in me that you don't know anything about, and it's called doing the will of God. Now, it costs you something, because you well, I don't want to do that. Well, when we surrender constantly to what God wants, there's an impartation of his life and anointing to us. Sometimes we don't want to forgive, but, you know, if we'll surrender to God's plan and do that, grace and life and anointing flow into our life. So those are direct ways. The other ways are partnership with a five-fold ministry gift. I haven't got time to develop all of that, but to be connected to a local church where five-fold ministry is flowing and to contribute. Partnership is a two-way thing. We contribute. In Philippians 1 verse 7, Paul says to the Philippians, you were partakers with me of my grace. And he said, God has given me the grace to do apostolic work. You've become a part of it because you shared in the promotion of the gospel through the earth. And the last one is Texas is impartation from fivefold ministry. In other words, impartation into our life through the word and the Holy Ghost. Now listen, in this place you get that impartation, but you've got to receive and do something with it. We have to apply what we're learning. Notice what it says at the end of the parable. This is the sobering bit. When Jesus came, when the bridegroom came, those who were ready, what does it mean they were ready? They were full of the life of God. 
They were full of the word that God was speaking in their hour. They were full of the life of God, having responded to him and positioned themselves and paid the price to have it. When he came, they immediately entered or experienced all that God had for them. The others came and they said, hey, 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 Lord, 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 what about us? He said, no, you were never intimate with me. You never did what it took to have what I need. You can't experience what I got for you and have reserved for the end times to pour out on my people. What a tragic thing to be in the people of God and to actually miss out experiencing what God had planned for us to have solely because of one thing. We were seduced by the culture and never kept ourselves alive and in a place of preparation before God. No one can pay that price for you. It's your personal price. And so Jesus applied it and he said, watch. Or in other words, remain spiritually vigilant. Watching is always accompanied with prayer. Maintain a strong, vital prayer connection with God and what God is doing that you may be abounding in oil at his coming. Father, we thank you today for your abundant grace upon us in Bay City. We thank you for the abundant life of God. Father, I pray every one of us shall determine a purpose in our heart not to miss the opportunities you provide. But Lord, in the areas of society you've called us to be, where you've positioned us, we pray, Lord, you will anoint us and empower us to break through into the lives of unsaved people, to see unsaved people impacted and touched because we prayed for them, we spoke to them, we made a stand, we made our lights shine brightly. Father, we pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would advance strongly through every member of this church, strongly into the community. Father, we pray our light would shine in such an unmistakable way that you would be honored through our lifestyle and people would be attracted to Jesus Christ, not only in here, but in nations of the earth. Father, we give you the honor and the glory. May our light burn bright. May we be like John the Baptist, a bright and a shining light in the season of history we're living in today. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on, let's stand on our feet and give the Lord a great clap today. Let's honor him today. Come on, let's honor him. Let's honor Jesus Christ today. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for your anointing, your presence, causing your church to arise. Arise.